This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. This week on the show, we continue our draft line cleaning discussion with Keith Lemke. This episode originally aired in March of 2017. You can look for some great new episodes next year. In the meantime, I hope everyone has a happy and safe New Year's celebration. When you look at breaking down things like proteins, which are the most common things we're trying to remove from draft lines, you're going to use an alkaline-based cleaner. Um, most brewers, if you're a technical brewer, know CIP solution, clean-in-place solution. Sodium hydroxide, potassium hydroxide, very, very common. Sodium hydroxide is something that we're used to using, and it does quite an effective job of cleaning draft lines. There are actually well-designed um, different types of chemicals that are available that are specifically designed for draft systems as well that use alternative forms of chemistry and can use things like uh, sequestering agents, surfactants that improve the effectiveness of the chemi- chemicals themselves so that the chemistry is, is less caustic, less potentially damaging, um, more safe to work around. So there's a lot of different choices available uh, for s- stuff that's really simple and easy to work with, that's effective and, and safe. Now again, we use alkaline-based cleaning solutions primarily for removal of proteins, but every now and then we have to deal with uh, the potential buildup of beer stone, uh, calcium oxalate, calcium-based um, contaminants within our draft systems. And when you have calcium oxalate, when you have beer stone in your system, itself isn't really that much of a concern, but beer stone harbors bioorganisms, does a great job of giving them all these little caves that they can hide in. So that we do want to have 
reduction or elimination of, of beerstone as well. And with that, what we want to use is acid-based cleaner. So with uh, an acid-based cleaner, uh, what you would generally do is do a conventional alkaline-based uh, cleaning as you would do on a regular uh, basis. And, and in most cases, we're talking every two weeks is what's recommended. Some people do it more frequently, um, but two weeks is a good rule of thumb. And uh, what we used to recommend at the Draft Beer Guild, uh, who I was working with when this document was developed, was to use an acid-based cleaner approximately every four weeks to help break down beer stone. That, that um, makes sense. Hey, Keith, would you – now, I know most of these uh, packaged or built alkaline beer cleaners, um, they're, most of them are going to have some sort of scale inhibitor in them. Um, but I don't. I, I'm not sure what you know level of water hardness they usually optimize for. Would Would you recommend uh, more frequent acid cleaning cycles in an area that has hard water? Yes, but you need to have you need to have draft technicians that um, are aware of the condition of hard water in that area. Um, that when you when you when you get to the point of trying to manufacture standards by which people clean draft lines, there are just so many different conditions uh, in, in which draft beer doth flow. Um, it is, it's not just the type of beer being served. It's not just how the draft system is actually configured. Um, there are things uh, like water hardness in that area. Uh, there, there are concerns with, um, for example, using air to push beer. Well, of course, if you use air to push beer, there's always the potential for greater contaminant growth. Uh, there are so many variables that are involved in draft cleaning that all we can do with a catalog, for example, as, as small as this, with a document as small as this, and even in the larger draft quality manual, we can only give people information to deal with the most common forms of systems. In doing so, um, we will deal with probably 90 to 95 percent of the systems out there and keep the beer that's being served through those systems uh, in, in high-quality condition. But when it comes down to being able to anticipate and correct uh, specialized situations like scale uh, coming in with water, like changes in water pH um, coming from Vancouver, British Columbia, we had, we had changes and shifts in water condition from summer to winter because of the amount of rainfall that occurs in winter. So you had higher loads in some cases of bioorganics. You had higher loads of uh, things like calcium and potential scale forming. And you, you also had changes in pH. Well, if you're working with cleaning solutions, they're somewhat pH dependent and they're counting on your water having a pH of 7. That isn't necessarily the case. So when we get down to fine-tuning draft system, draft system maintenance and cleaning, there's a lot to be learned. Your article also mentioned that um, uh, too long of a, of a soak time in the, in the applications where you're soaking with, and you don't have access to a pump uh, could cause cleaning solutions to actually impregnate the beer lines. That might be new to some listeners. Could you could you elaborate on that concept? With contemporary draft lines, when you are looking at what is referred to as the trunk line, which is the long length of line that actually runs um, from the cold room up to the bar service area, these new types 
types of hoses that are using are uh, very low in permeability by cleaning solution or by uh, gas escape or ingress. So they're not really the issue. Um, more of the issue is the soft hose, the polyvinyl hose that you use to connect the keg in the cold room to the bracket on the wall that adjoins the lines going into the trunk line. Um, also, the what's called choker line at the bar area is usually made of soft hose. Now, they're fairly short stretches of line, but if you've got, for example, um, choker line that is 20 feet, 15 to 20 feet in length, and you have a high concentration of solution that does have its own aromatics, and, and these cleaning solutions do have their own aromatics. Um, you can have a degree of permeation of that aromatic in the hose. Now, as beer flows through that hose, it's not going to pick up that aroma. There isn't sufficient contact time. But as beer stops in the line when it's not being poured and remains stationary, there is the possibility that it will absorb some of those aromatics. Uh, one of the local draft line cleaners just uh, did a great post on Facebook in which he warned people against uh, the um, use or, or service of this new uh, alcoholic root beer because in the conventional stretches of trunk line, uh, the very hard plastic trunk line, it's not much of an issue. But through choker hose and through the jumper hose that comes off the keg, that root beer permeates those lines very, very effectively. And you're practically guaranteeing the replacement of those hoses after you finish serving that root beer on that line. Um, that just gives you an indication of flavor transfer that can occur. And if you're looking at only, in the case of uh, jumper line, uh, only the capacity of being able to hold, let's say, eight ounces of beer at a time, well, if that eight ounces of beer is two-thirds of a pint of beer being served and it ends up in a customer's glass, they may not know what that telltale smell of cleaning solution is. They're just not going to have the experience they should have. So... Again, these, these are not major concerns, but if you're doing a sit-and-soak cycle um, and you let it go really long, after a certain period of time, you're not gaining any more effectiveness in cleaning, and there is the potential aromatic contamination you could gain if that solution does have a strong aroma. Okay. Let's talk about uh, beer faucets and, and keg couplers. The, the, sure. in, the internals of, of standard beer faucets and keg couplers haven't really changed much over the over the recent years. Uh, do you think these devices are as good as they're ever going to get from a cleanability standpoint? And I remember not that many years ago when 100% uh, stainless steel faucets debuted. Are you surprised those haven't become ubiquitous? Um, well, they're certainly becoming more common. I'm seeing uh, stainless steel, 100% stainless steel in more and more locations because when they initially came out, and, and certainly any high-tech faucet, uh, when it comes onto the market is going to be quite highly priced. And that's because the company that designed them uh, either has to recover its research and development costs, uh, it has to uh, pay potentially for patents that they had to purchase in order to be able to um, get the faucets um, 
developed and designed in the way they're supposed to be designed. There's a certain amount of time required with faucets as well to bring them onto the market because in many cases, the faucet manufacturers want to put them in the hands of breweries, the biggest breweries, because many of the biggest breweries worldwide actually tend to have their products served through specific products in the marketplace. Um, so they want to be able to test and trial different products before they go on the marketplace. So if I'm coming out with a new faucet on the market, there's a certain amount of costs I need to recover uh, at the outset of actually bringing this fancy piece of equipment onto the marketplace. So it's going to make stainless steel more expensive than uh, the conventional chrome or chrome and brass uh, faucets that we've seen in the past. Uh, I think the chrome and brass faucets, if cleaned on a regular basis, do just a fine job. I am the first to admit a degree of guilt in sometimes not cleaning the Siebel Institute draft system every two weeks. Um, that we actually do quite a meticulous job of rinsing out the faucet after um, every day of use. Uh, there was a report uh, from several years ago, and I can't remember which publication it was in, but uh, it was showing how if you rinse the faucet out with just a straightforward rubber squeeze bulb and water, or a straightforward rubber squeeze bulb and water with a sanitizing solution in it versus not rinsing it out at all. If at the end of the evening, you basically just put it into the mouth of the faucet, give it a good squeeze and the water under pressure going into the mouth of the faucet will do an excellent job of rinsing any residual beer out of there, whether it's straight water or water and sanitizer, it does a really good job of making it so you won't have any bio growth inside of that faucet. That's great advice. Even with a conventional old-style faucet, you're good to go. And that same protocol can actually be extended to something like the new stainless steel faucets. So, you know, I don't think faucets are uh, that huge deal, provided, you know, that they're not made of brass anymore, because you can still find chromed brass faucets out there. If you can trace those down, get rid of them, because chances are when you clean them, they're pitted inside. Um, one thing that I would really strongly suggest people bear in mind, because I've seen publications in which, uh, in publications and videos in which they recommend using a wire brush to clean uh, inside of faucets. No, do not do that. Use a nylon brush to clean the inside of faucets. A synthetic plastic material won't scour and cause uh, fissures to occur whenever you're cleaning faucets or couplers. Now, on couplers, um, we really, you can design better couplers. Of course we can design better couplers, but that's a bigger problem uh, because with couplers, what we're trying to do is maintain a standardized interface that can fit on kegs. So you have to have the complicity and compliance of the breweries and the keg manufacturers themselves to say, hey, we have developed a coupler that has such an amazing advantage over previous couplers as far as hygiene goes that we're willing to do a wholesale change of that coupler interface, that neck valve interface in a keg to facilitate uh, this new coupler. And then you have to locate 
every brewery that's using the existing coupler, and let's say it's the American Sankey coupler that we're talking about here, you would literally have to replace every American Sankey coupler across the United States after any of the new keg interface kegs come into play. The cost behind that is absolutely going to be astronomical. Even getting acceptance of the Sankey keg and the different types of couplers involved in these various common forms of international couplers, it's taken decades and decades to get to where we are. I think we have a, a good selection of relatively sanitary interfaces, and it's really just more a matter of being relatively meticulous about how things are cleaned. They're, these are designed to be not difficult to take apart. The average person can learn within one day how to take apart uh, a standard Sankey coupler, a standard uh, faucet, and clean it quite effectively. But the world would definitely be the path to the door of whoever comes up with a system that is practically zero maintenance. Practically speaking, a closed system whereby you have a coupler that doesn't have the potential of being fouled where the connecting point is, where you attach it to the keg, and you have faucets that are uh, impervious to having any contaminants going inside and getting into the draft system. If we can develop that, and I'm sure that somebody down the line may be working on that, that's great. But getting it into play, getting acceptance of it within a worldwide marketplace will be the challenge. Coming up. If you are putting through a beer that carries a load of wild yeast or bacteria, there is a good chance that it is going to take residence somewhere within this system. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. Support for this podcast is brought to you by ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, triclamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by BSG is partnering with Leopold Brothers to bring a new line of small batch handmade malts to brewers and distillers. Leopold Brothers is a family-owned floor malting operation and distillery and 2020 James Beard Award finalist located in Denver, Colorado. Since brothers Scott and Todd Leopold first opened their doors in 1999, they have created everything from classic unfiltered lagers to a number of spirits, including a wide array of whiskey styles. Learn more about the upcoming malt line by going online to bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact BSG at 1-800-374-2739. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com mbaa. This is always a slow time of year for the Master Brewers calendar, but I've never seen it look so empty. 
You can certainly expect more virtual meetings in the coming year. In fact, Master Brewer's headquarters is advising all districts not to hold any in-person meetings through quarter two of 2021. But there is one thing on the calendar, one meeting that you might actually finally be able to attend in person. The 2021 Master Brewers Conference will be October 28th through the 30th in Cleveland, and I hope to see you there. Master Brewers Association of the Americas offers a wide range of resources for breweries of all sizes and stages. Keep current on the latest scientific advancements, technical information, and industry trends by joining Master Brewers today. Use discount code BEER20 to save 20% on dues, now through December 31st, 2020. Master Brewers, United We Brew. Now back to the show. As we all know, the diversity of draft beer has increased rapidly in recent years. What additional precautions do you recommend taking when switching from a beer known to contain wild yeast or bacteria to a normal beer, whatever that means these days? Does this, does this require any additional cleaning steps or verification in your mind? Um, absolutely. And, um, I, I think we are to the point where the keg pools, especially, um, and we're talking about kegs that you lease, uh, rather than kegs that you own, have the potential of uh, harboring contaminants, um, quite freely at this point. I know the people who operate the keg pool companies in many cases have stipulations that these kegs that breweries simply lease and fill and throw into the marketplace um, that the the guys who manage the leasing say that you should not be using these kegs for anything other than beer containing standard Saccharomyces cerevisiae form yeast. Well, I know that there are breweries who are using those who are using these for um, beers that contain what we used to refer to as contaminants and now refer to as alternative fermentation microorganisms. So the first thing you have to bear in mind, and especially for the smaller brewers out there, is that if you're going to be dealing with kegs that come from a common keg pool and you don't know the source, um, your keg cleaner needs to be very good quality and it would behoove you greatly to have a steam cycle on that keg. With kegs, the Sankey kegs, uh, if you were to take one apart and look at the complexity of the valve assembly, it's meant for effective cleaning, but you cannot make those 100% clean. The steam sanitation cycle on a keg cleaner does a great job of making sure that that valve assembly and the outside of the spear that leads down to the bottom of the keg have a great chance of being sanitized effectively so that there is little contamination risk from wild yeast or lactic acid bacteria. But when it comes to getting past the keg and now into a draft system, if you've got 
any sort of lactic acid bacteria, uh, Lactobacillus pediococcus, Britannomyces on any of the surfaces in the keg room. That means when you put the coupler down, and it's in, in many cases in bars, it's not trained people to be meticulous about how they're swapping a keg over. It's a bar back or it's a bartender who has never received any training and doesn't realize that when you put a coupler down with that, that gasketed surface making contact with a floor, a top of a keg, a, a wall, a ledge, it's making contact with whatever bacteria or wild yeast are in the room. And that can include stuff that has been specifically designed to live in beer. Because when we talk about wild yeast and bacteria um, that we are specifically adding to beer to create this new generation beer, we're choosing organisms that thrive in beer. We're literally selecting towards ones that will live in a cold room environment, that will live in the presence of beer in line. So what we're doing is we're subverting, you know, let's say a hundred plus years of breweries employing microbiological standards of assessment to try to eliminate wild yeast and bacteria from the brewery to guys absolutely adding liters of these products into their beer to create these new flavors and aromas. And to think that there's no potential that this could cause some sort of backlash in a shared beer distribution system, a draft system, is not being very realistic. Um, I'm looking at uh, pictures right now from the actual article of a FOB, and a, a FOB is a foam on beer detector. I'm looking at pictures of beer pumps. Getting these 100% effectively clean can be quite difficult. And so if you're putting through a beer that carries a load of wild yeast or bacteria, there's a good chance that it is going to take residence somewhere within this system let alone uh, this new idea of the um, sort of Vermont and New England beers, uh, in which the particulate masses carried in these beers are just extraordinary. Well, the particulate masses can run the gamut of anything from uh, yeast, wild yeast, bacteria, to in some cases they're adding uh, fruit compounds, they're adding um, uh, flour. Uh, in order to increase the opacity, to, to give it what's called a milkshake characteristic. Well, as you put this through a draft system and you only have one keg of it, um, a lot of that stuff can settle to the bottom of the keg, uh, and by the time you actually tap that keg, that particulate mass that's now at a pool of the base of the keg is being infused within your draft system, and it will find homes within gussets, within uh, the interfaces between all the parts that form the system. So really what we're doing with experimental brewing is creating the potential for problems within a draft system. And it just means if you're going to operate a draft house that takes pride in serving a wide selection of different beers and making sure that they're appropriate for your customers and you want to reduce the risk of there being problems because of these unique and differentiated beers, you need to have someone 
on your staff who's cleaning your system that does an excellent job of cleaning your system, or you need to hire a trusted company that isn't probably going to cost five bucks a line for cleaning, but probably a fair bit more, but comes in and does an effective job of anticipating what problems can arise with dealing with very complicated uh, and potentially um, organism-carrying beers and making sure that the system is kept up to hygienic standards as much as possible. Very good. Think twice before you tap the weird stuff. You got um, it. <laughs> all right, Keith. Uh, let's talk uh, one last subject. Let's talk about draft beer line replacement. Uh, what is the what is the life lifespan of a properly clean draft system? And at what point does it become impossible to clean a poorly maintained system to the point that line replacement is your only option? There is a real difficulty behind making blanket statements like that because remember a lot of the new lines that have been around are, uh, it's, it's not only the lines themselves, the material of the lines themselves, but also their coating technologies. Um, when I took the draft course at Siebel Institute in 1999, um, it was really the emergence of, at that time of what's called barrier hose. And Barrier hose is made from a lot harder, more durable, impermeable material, but it's the material itself is actually lined inside with various types of compounds that, that look, if you were to take a, a section of this line, it looks like glass. And it's very difficult for microorganisms to stick to the walls inside of these draft lines. Um, so not only is, is it tougher for bioorganisms to stick, it's also a lot more difficult for things like root beer uh, flavored or highly flavored beers to permeate the lines themselves. So it's, it's hard to make a blanket statement when it comes down to, let's say, an installation that went on 10 years ago using barrier hose technology as to whether it's time to replace it. There are still people who advocate, okay, even with the new technologies, 15 years is probably the um, maximal amount of time that I can leave a line in position before I swap it out. You know, there are various ways of, of trying that out. Um, and that is, if, if I've got a, um, a stout in a line right now that has, has been used for stout for five years, um, I take the stout off, I run a cleaning cycle, and then I hook up a light beer to that stout wine. And I punch it into the system, and I let it sit there overnight. So I've got in, that in there for a good 12 hours in which you have beer with resident contact time in that line. And now I take a sample of that. And if I can't pick up any difference between the beer that has come out of that line and a beer that is completely fresh out of the keg, not stuff that's been sitting there for 12 hours, that's a fairly effective and rational evaluation as to whether or not that line has any flavor transfer. Where you can actually easily swap out wines is in the jumper line, in the cold room, 
in the jumper line in the cold room, you know, it, once a year is probably a, a good rule of thumb. Uh, it's easy enough to swap those lines out. You can buy a jumper line from Home Depot if you want. But if you've got a draft technician, you know, get them once a year to come in and swap out the jumper lines. And you can actually see. They start getting color transfer. Um, you can see that they start looking a little grungy inside. Um, one area that's difficult to actually replace would be uh, the the tower itself, because many of the draft towers, uh, the configurations of them kind of lock in the choker line that's running up to the tower. And so to get in there and replace the choker lines uh, is a bit more work, but it behooves you to actually consider doing that. And with choker lines, you know, once every 10 years would, would not be a bad rule of thumb. I would say that's something that uh, the, the guys in the draft quality group are probably going to be looking at amongst the panoply of other things that they're looking at in the way of establishing some technical standards, uh, especially based on testing. Because uh, when we put this document together at Draft Beer Guild, uh, one of our goals was to actually establish technical standards for testing, for measurement, uh, regarding all forms of draft equipment. Well, it's taken almost 20 years to get to the point where now the standards are just barely starting to be um, established as to the criteria of the standards to be tested, let alone the methodologies. So this is this is really a long haul thing. But, you know, as someone who goes to bars on a regular basis um, with people who are the most nerdy, pedantic tasters you have ever met, uh, going to, to bars that, that take just conventional care of their systems, cleaning once every one to two weeks, using standardized types of equipment, you never have bad service from them. So hanging on to some of the bedrock principles that you see in this document, uh, as a retailer, as a brewer suggesting appropriate protocols to retailers, will probably keep your system in line for 10 years, maybe even 20 years, without any problems with flavor, without compromising the characteristics of the beer you're serving. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Keith. I really appreciate you uh, putting this document together and reprinting it for us, uh, as well as spending some time here today to chat with us about it. So uh, thanks a lot for your contribution. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. That was Keith Lemke here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a direct link to Keith's basic guide to line cleaning and maintenance in draft beer systems. I joined District Mid-Atlantic back when it was dominated by large breweries and I was often one of the only craft brewers in attendance. I'm so glad I joined. That membership has been incredibly impactful to my career and I've made so many lifelong friends from those meetings. If you're not already a member, I highly encourage you to join. And there's no time like the present because new members can use the promo code BEER20 or the link in the show notes to save 20% on dues if you register before the end of the year. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Stop.